This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. You can have a seat, if you would, please. Good morning, everybody. Happy Fourth of July. Oh, you don't know what to say now, do you? You know, I was thinking and in, uh, in, uh, praying about this this morning and realizing that um, this is the culture where God has put us. Think about that. We could have been born. He could have caused us to have been born anywhere. But this is the culture where God put us. And this is the culture in which we get to represent Christ. Is that an honor? That's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? And since this is the culture that God has placed us in, then I wanted to take a little bit of time on this 4th of July, the birthday of our country and the birthday of our culture, really. And I wanted us to pray a prayer of blessing on this culture that God has put us in. So would you join me in that, please? Lord, on this birthday of our country, on this 4th of July, we come, first of all, with hearts that are grateful of all the cultures you could have placed us in. You have placed us in this one. And Lord, we bless you for it. You are the architect of every culture, including this one. And in some way, we here in the United States represent a portion of your vast personality, of, the, of your vast personal culture. Thank you for the ways in which you have enabled us to reflect that great personality and that great culture. And Lord, we're really a melting pot of cultures from around the world, and we're learning how to live and work together. And um, Lord, we value our freedom so highly. And yet we come this morning confessing that we don't always use that freedom in ways that bless you or bless each other. In fact, sometimes, Father, we use that freedom to choose habits and lifestyles that are destructive and that are harmful and that are dysfunctional. And we come confessing that this morning and asking for your forgiveness and your healing over that. For, Lord, our homes are not always what they should be, maybe not anywhere close to what they should be. And our morality isn't what it should be. And our generosity falls way short of what it could be and should be. And, Lord, that list goes on and on. For that reason, Lord, we pray that you would cause the light of every church across our country to shine brightly with the gospel of Jesus so that those who are looking for the truth will not have to look long or far to find it. And Lord, along that line, we would pray especially for the light of this church. Would you help New Life to be a wonderful place of healing and recovery and grace? Would you help it to be a great place of service, a place of safety, a place, Lord, where people could come and find comfort in you and strength and transformation and life change and deep and lasting relationships, a great community of faith, a great family of faith. Lord, would you help our light to be especially bright in this community? So that, Lord, you could transform every dark corner and crevice in our lives and in our community. 
by your great spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. May it be so. May it be exactly like that. Well, you know, it's always interesting on a holiday to see who's in town, who's not in town, who gets to come from out of town. And uh, so I have a special message for all of you who are from out of town, and this is kind of your one and only shot to be here. Okay? The message is this. God knew you were going to be here. Okay? And this message is just as much for you as it is for those of us who come here week after week after week. Because when we meet with God, it's never by accident and it's never wasted. So I want to invite you along for the journey. We are in a series of sermons called Promise. And we are looking at 15 promises that God has given us along five major subjects that deal with our human spirit. And last Sunday, we looked at the sense of worth. And this morning, we're going to look at a subject that has both a positive side and a negative side. And we'll start with the negative side first. And the negative side is we're going to deal with the subject of insecurity. And I thought about having you raise your hands if you'd ever been insecure, but I figured if you were insecure, you might not want to raise your hands. You know how that works? So, they, <laughs> so I decided not to do that. But the truth is, every single person in the audience this morning at some point has had to deal with the concept of insecurity, of somehow feeling like other people belong and we don't, or other people belong at a level that we don't. And we feel sort of like the odd person out. We, I think we, don't we have a, a phrase that goes, I feel like the fifth wheel? Yeah, that sort of thing. So that's on sort of the negative side. On the positive side, we're going to talk about the, God's cure for that insecurity. And that's this great sense of belonging. And there's a tremendous amount of security that comes when we know that we belong Not that people put up with us. Not that people say, well, okay, and they sort of acquiesce to it. Or or they've got their arm twisted and therefore they kind of have to say the right thing. But there's a great sense of security that comes when we know that not only do we belong, but the people around us are glad that we belong. And so that's the subject for the morning. And and, uh, so we're going to look at three wonderful promises that have to do with that subject that God gives us in His Word. But as a backdrop to that, I want to give you two backdrop principles to to sort of set the stage for that. And the first backdrop principle is this. God created us as communal beings. You know, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, and even if you're not greatly familiar with the Bible, you might know the answer to this. At the end of every day of creation, the Bible says, and God saw all that he had made, and God said, it is good. And that's the standard statement that comes at the end of every day. But when we get to the book of Genesis, even just in the second chapter, we find a different thing. After God had made everything and said, it is good, he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. That's the first statement in the Bible that's made about the human race. It is not good 
for man to be alone. Now, if you have ever gone into the house or the apartment where a bunch of guys have lived with no women, that statement will need no explanation, right? It's just evident and obvious. But there's actually a deeper sense for that statement. It is not good for man to be alone. And, and I want to expand that for us because here's what God was really saying. It is not good for any person to go through life alone. Period. Started with Adam. God looked at Adam and said, Adam, man, you are not going to do well alone. I've got to make somebody for you. And he did. And you know, if God came into your life and my life today, he would say the same thing. God would say to me, Ron, it's not good for you to go through life alone. I've made you a communal being. I've made you to operate best in the context of a community. And in fact, when the community is missing, we struggle. I mean, we really, really struggle. And I want to tell you this. When the community is dysfunctional, we struggle even more. And we'd spend the rest of the morning having people just come up and tell stories about a missing community where you felt completely alone or about a dysfunctional community where your community was actually destroying your life and tearing your life down. But the truth is, God designed us to function on the inside of a community. Here's what God said. So God used, and this is how God solved it, God used a rib from the man to make a woman, and then he brought the woman to the man, and the man said, now this is someone whose bones come from my bones, whose body came from my body. There's something really special there. I will call her woman because she was taken out of man. I taught this to my life group on Tuesday night. Something very tender in God here. Because God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and he formed the other creatures simply by speaking them into being. And he said, you know, let there be light, and there was light. And let there be bugs, and there were bugs. And I don't know how God did all that, but he, the Bible says he spoke them into being. But for Adam, he did not speak Adam into being. He stooped down and took the, the earth that he had made for Adam, and out of that earth he fashioned and sculpted Adam. And then the Bible says that he took Adam and he blew into his nostrils the breath of life. There's an interesting little irony there because in the original language the Bible was written in, at least the New Testament, in the Greek language, the word wind, breath, and spirit are all the same. And so it could be translated, he blew into his nostrils the spirit of life or the wind of life or the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. Now that's pretty cool. Something very tender. And God just kind of held him back. And, and obviously Adam was alive. And I'm sure God introduced himself and explained to him how life worked. And Adam was like, man, way cool. Here we go. It, it, that's kind of a unique beginning, right? Now God could have done the same thing for Eve. But instead of reaching down and taking the dust of the earth, God said, Adam, lay down here, dude. I'm going to do something special for you. And he laid him down. He caused a deep sleep to come on him. And he reached in and he took out one of Adam's ribs. And he fashioned 
Eve. And he woke Adam up and said, look what I made from one of your ribs. Now those of you who are parents, you understand what Adam said. You have held other people's children and you have even loved other people's children. But there's nothing like holding flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone. Is that right? Nothing like it. Wow. And you know, for the first time, Adam had a community. It was him and Eve. He goes on to say, I will call her woman, for she was taken out of man. And then he goes on to to show how that works for all the rest of us. So a man will leave his father and mother, and he will be united to his wife, and the two will become one body. And that's how the rest of us get our lifelong community. Yeah. You know, God's design was that you and I would never actually be without a community. I'm going to show you two ways that God does that a little bit later on. But that's the first thing you need to know about yourself. And by the way, when you struggle, okay, there's probably two kinds of people in this room. Some of us, when we struggle, the whole world struggles, right? We make sure of that. And some of us, when we struggle, we do the turtle thing. You understand? We tend to pull in all the arms and legs and just kind of sit there and struggle. Can I share with you that those of us who tend to turtle, that's not the way to get well. Okay? If you tend to be a private I tend to be a private person. Okay? So I can relate to that. But when I struggle, the worst thing that I can do is just go be by myself. Because why? It's in the context of community. Even when I struggle, it's in the context of community that I thrive. And when I'm alone, really alone, I struggle. And that's the way God made all of us. Background principle number two is this. God wants everyone to have two communities, a family and a church. I want you to think of this as two wonderful contexts for your life. The family is the inner context and the church is the outer context, but both of them go all the way around you. They envelop you for they are your safety net in life. You have two kidneys. You can get along with one, correct? But don't you feel safer with two? Yeah. We all do. Because we think, by golly, if that left one goes, I got a right one, correct? Yeah. I want you to understand that in life, God gave you two wonderful communities. And it's important for you to have both. It's not okay to say, i got a good family, therefore I don't need the church. Or I have a good church, therefore I don't need the family. You actually need both. There's safety in both. But if one fails, it's nice to know that you have the other. Okay? Take a look at what God says in His Word. You are citizens 
Underline the word citizens. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members. Underline the word members. Of God's holy family. Together we are His house. Underline the word house. In that one, in that one verse, Paul gives us three wonderful symbols of community. The first is we are citizens of God's kingdom. That's a community we belong to, and God wants us to know you belong in my kingdom. That's a great message. Number two, we are members of God's family. God wants us to know you belong in my family. And number three, you are building blocks in my house. You are actually part of my temple where I live and dwell by my spirit. You belong in my house. Wow. Three separate ways Paul says, We belong. Wonderful sense of belonging. And so we have not only this community that God gives us when we leave our father and mother and we're joined to our spouse and we become one flesh and we now have the community of our own family, we have the greater community of God's family. Two communities, two contexts in which God intended for us to live life. So how does all that work? Well, today I want to direct our attention to three promises. And we'll move through them rather quickly. They don't need a lot of explanation. What they really need is they need a little bit of application and they need more acceptance. Because God could give you the greatest promise in the world, but if you don't believe it, it won't do anything in your life, correct? It's not until you receive it, begin to live in that reality, that it actually becomes a reality in your life. So let's take a look at these three promises that God gives. Promise number one is this. I will adopt you as my children and family. I will adopt you as my children and family. And here's the passage of Scripture. You received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Underline that whole sentence. I want you to know that God has put something in you at birth that resonates with His Spirit. And that's why even when you came to church for the first time, even if you had no church background, somehow when the pastor got up and began to talk to you out of God's Word, there was something inside you that resonated with that and that said, somehow, that's true. I want to believe that. Because it, 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 it touches a chord in here. God made you that way. It's how you get drawn to Him. Now he goes on to say, and since we are children, we are heirs. We are His heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are there to inherit God's glory. In the Roman world, which was a context in which that passage was written, in the Roman world, the concept of adoption was not all that unusual, but it almost always took place in the context of an orphanage. I want you to think about this for a minute. The context of an orphanage. I want you to envision with me a teenage boy or girl. Been orphaned from birth, and the only thing that they have ever known of a family or a community is the orphanage in which they live. By the way, There are many of those around the world, correct? Now, when I think about that, my heart gets heavy. Really, really heavy. 
I bless God for every orphanage, but I pray for the day when we don't have to have them. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. But I want you to think about a, a teenage boy or girl. They get up that morning, and there's big news in the orphanage that there's a, a man and his wife who have come, and they have come to select a child that they want to adopt. Part of you would be excited and hoping that they would choose you, and part of you would be scared to death that they would, correct? Because this is all you've ever known. But as they come and they, and they cycle through the children in the orphanage, this, this teenage child gets selected. And as they jump in the vehicle to head home, can you imagine the thoughts that they have? They've never ever known the strength and the reassurance of a loving father's touch because they've never actually had a father. They've never ever known the comfort of a mother's hands, their mother's hands. They've never had one. They've never known what it was like to get up in a house that belonged to their family because they've never had family. It's a whole new experience for them. As they're riding to that house, for the first time they look at this person who is now their father and this person who is now their mother and they notice they're dressed pretty well. Hmm. I wonder what, not their house, but our house is going to look like. Maybe it'll be nice. It's kind of hard to imagine all of that, but as they ride, when they pull up in front of the house, it's beautiful. And as they get out, there's another surprise. For coming out of the house are brothers and sisters. Oh, they never anticipated that. But you know what they're immediately hit with? Oh, no. They belong, and I what? I don't. And then they discover the most liberating truth. They have all been adopted just like me. Does that change anything? Oh, yeah. We belong. I want to read this passage again. And I want you to get that. Okay? God says, You received my spirit when I adopted you as my own children. Now, friends, God can't make you that promise. But if you, don't, if, you, if you choose not to live in that reality, it just goes like water off a duck's back. But my prayer for you this morning and my prayer for me this morning is that by the time we leave, that we all have a deeper and greater sense that we belong because we've been adopted by God Himself. So you know what that promise applied is? It's pretty simple. Here it is. You have a family now. Maybe you never had one before, but you have a family now. I have a family now. 
Principle number two, promise number two is this. I will never leave you or forsake you. Those of you who were raised in dysfunctional homes, those of you who were raised in really tough circumstances, find yourselves waiting for the other shoe to what? Drop. You know what God says? There is no other shoe. You got it? God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's no other shoe that's going to drop. No matter what happens in your life, I'm never leaving. I'm here. You're in. You're not just partially in. You're not just in for a short while. I'm here. I'm going nowhere. You're here. And and you're not going anywhere. We are together. We are together for life no matter what. And I want to read you one of my favorite passages. Look at this. Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are what? You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be where? With you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, your what? Your Savior. I want to read you a poem I know most of you have read. Maybe all of you have. I just want you to listen to it. It's written by Mary Stevenson. And even if you've heard it a hundred times before, I want you to listen. Okay? One night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord and across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints. One belonged to me and the other belonged to the Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and I noticed many times along the path of my life there were actually only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it only happened at the very lowest and saddest times in my life. Now that really bothered me. And I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, You said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my precious child, I love you and I would never, ever leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. You know, the real question is do we believe that and do we live in that reality? I want to pray. I want to pray a prayer of healing right now. I'm going to ask us all to close our eyes. And uh, I don't very often ask you to raise your hands in church, but I want to give you the invitation. As I pray a prayer of healing, if you're going through a tough time, I know some in our audience are battling life-threatening cancer. Some in our audience are losing their homes. Some have lost jobs. And the list of, of, of the struggles is quite extensive. If you want this prayer to apply to you, then raise your hand and say, God, make this prayer be part of my life. Let's pray.
Father, this morning we receive that wonderful promise that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That we are your forever family. And we are so blessed. And yet, Lord, we struggle. Would you help us this morning to claim this promise that though we walk through the fire, we will not be consumed. And though the flood comes our direction, we will not drown. For you are the Lord our God. You are our Savior. And Lord, for every one of us who's going through a really tough time, would you enable us to sense your nearness and your presence that we belong? Would you give us a deep, deep, deep sense of wonderful security, knowing that even should things get worse, that you will still be with us and that every story that takes place in you has a happy ending eventually. Would you give us faith to believe that, receive that, and walk in that, and experience it in our lifetime? We ask for your healing, your comfort, your strength, and your grace. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Promise number three. <clears throat> Oh, let's go back and read the promise applied. Here it is. Ready? This family is never leaving. Okay? Never. It is a forever family, no matter what. God wants you to know that for sure. And now let's go to, to promise number three. I will make you my friends. Wow. Here's what God says. Here's what Jesus said. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves or, or co-workers, but a master doesn't confide in his slaves. But you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You know, as we close, I want, I want to give you, if I said to you, and we've all said this, oh, you know, we're more than friends. We're actually family. You ever been in a gathering and you kind of figured that, oh, these people are, oh, they're related. I see how that works. They're more than friends. They're family. I, I, I want to flip that statement because there's a truth that comes in the converse of that statement. Imagine if you meet someone and you find out that they're brother-in-laws or whatever they are, and, and they say to you, actually, we're more than family. We're friends. Doesn't that carry a great meaning? Yeah. Because, you know, you don't get to choose your family. <laughs> Some of you are going, you're right, because if, if I could, yeah, no, okay, we won't even go down that path, right? We don't get to choose our family, but we do get to choose our friends. Do you realize what God is saying to us in that passage? God is saying to us, even if you weren't my family, I would choose you as my friends. Wow. A deep, deep sense of belonging. And when we get that applied in our lives, here's what it means. It means we not only have a father, it means we have a friend. If everyone in our audience this morning could leave 
and understand those three promises and live in the reality of those three promises. Would it make our lives better? Every day. If every day I could live in the reality, I've been adopted by the king of the universe. I'm his kid. If I could live in the reality that this is a forever family, that God would never leave me no matter what's happening in my life, no matter what setback comes into my life, no matter how badly I disappoint him, that no matter what, God is hanging with me. He's mine. Yeah. And if we could live in the reality that we're not only God's family, he's chosen to make us his friends then we have the strength and the power and the comfort to go through whatever life throws our direction. Closing thought is this. God not only makes you these promises, but I want to tell you on behalf of this entire church, we make you these promises as well. You understand? So here's promise number one from the church. And that is, not only do you have a family, we are your family. And we have come prepared to be your family. And this is a community of faith. This is a family of faith. This is why we want you to be in life groups where you can get to know your family, where you can develop relationships on the inside of the church, where we can be spiritual family to each other and walk through life together. Promise number two. We're not going anywhere. We will be your family forever. We're never going to leave you. We're never going to forsake you. We're never going to boot you out and say you no longer belong here because we just don't. You are our forever family. And number three, we want to be more than family. We want to be what? We want to be friends. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.